I'm Jeff Newkirk, the host of Game Changers. I talk to people who have done something to make this world a better place. People who are working to make a significant and profound change. So it's simple. Inspire and educate and let's go change this world. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Game Changers. I'm fortunate to have leadership coach, former military, highly respected coach, Jan Rutherford with me. Jan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, good. Great to have you. And before we get started, I want to thank my sponsor. My sponsor is Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink, if I can say that correctly. Mm. It is just a little two ounce drink of of magic that you take in the morning. It's green and it kind of looks sort of suspicious, but it tastes great. And it's full of all kinds of antioxidants and vitamins and keeps you energized and focused throughout the day. So thanks to Magic Mind for sponsoring Game Changers. And you can find Magic Mind at magicmind.com. Get your own serving of that magic power every morning. So Jan Rutherford, Jan comes with us from or joins us from Colorado, the scenic, beautiful state right outside of Denver. And Janet is an executive coach and keynote speaker with numerous online courses on LinkedIn, Skillsoft, and Udemy. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Udemy? Yep. Yep. A former Green Beret and founder of Self-Reliant Leadership, he leads Crucible Wilderness Expeditions with Executives and Veterans. That sounds so intriguing to me. And thank you for your service. You're welcome. He's the co-host of the Leadership Podcast and author of The Littlest Green Beret on Self-Reliant Leadership. His next book, called Becoming a Self-Reliant Leader, How Grit and Discipline Duty Forge Indomitable Teams. Man, I love that. Indomitable Teams. And that will be out in summer of 2024, so next summer. Yeah. So welcome, Jan. Thank you so much for taking time to be on Game Changers. We've known mm-hmm. each other for a short time, but you've made a tremendous impact on your clients and your community, and I've learned a lot from you already, so thank you for being here. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. So your business is called Self-Reliant Leadership. What inspired you to start your own coaching business, mm-hmm. and how'd you come up with the name? I was just talking about this with my wife on a walk yesterday. I'm like, you know, it all goes back to reading this book called The Perfect Business by Michael LeBeouf. The Perfect Business by Michael LeBeau. We'll have to keep that in the in the show notes so people know. Yeah, it's know. an old book, but it was kind of about, it was way ahead of its time about being a solopreneur. And I remember reading that, taking a bunch of notes, and I always knew I wanted to do what I'm doing, but I, I never felt like I could do it till the kids grew up. I just didn't feel like I could take that leap. If I'd known- Or as a risk. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I, yeah, I, and, I'm and, right there and, with you. And nobody in the family went to college. Nobody was an entrepreneur. So I didn't know what I didn't know. If I knew then what I know now, I would have certainly taken the leap sooner. But, you know, the other thing I was saying the other day is what I've been doing since I was 19 years old really has not changed. I mean, at 19 years old, I was a Green Beret instructor. I was a sergeant. I was in front of... At 19? Yeah, at 19, I was in front of three... That's very (laughs) impressive. I was young. But I would be up, you know, on the platform, as we called it, in front of three, four hundred students, teaching them about basic first aid and medical. You know, I was a, a Green Beret medic, so I would 
I was the, um, you know, the medical instructor for students going through the course. I've been doing the same thing my whole career is, is trying to help develop people to learn things and then to teach things. That's what I've done. And I, I knew a long time ago that I always wanted to do this. As the, it's just part of who you are. Yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, I knew, you know, I did the military thing. I knew I was going to get out and go into the corporate. As soon as I got in the corporate world, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't feel like I could take the plunge until I was older, you know. So I'm so glad I did. It's been the most fulfilling part of my career by far. Yeah. Well, like I said, just having known you a short time, I've I've learned a lot, and I can only imagine the the impact that you have on the executives that you work with. Would you consider the corporate world? Did you think it was sort of challenging for you because you are have that entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah. I mean, and I guess I asked that question because I was in the corporate world for yeah. many years, and I found it to be really challenging because. So many people had different agendas and people were self-professed leaders, but, you know, self-professed, not real leaders. You know, I I always felt like a fish out of water. I mean, I did as a Green Beret. I was the youngest, littlest, smallest, you know, most immature guy that went through the course. So, okay. So that's hard to believe, but okay. (laughs) No, I, I, I mean, I was most of the guys were a few years older than me and they had played sports and they were big dudes. I always felt a little bit like a fish out of water with those guys, you know, in the corporate world, a lot of them had grown up, you know, a little bit with a, (laughs) I'm trying to think how to say this a little bit better pedigree. Um, They knew how to dress. They knew how to talk. They knew how, you know, they grew up differently than I did. And um, they were groomed for that corporate climate. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I grew up very much blue collar, working class people. I mean, I always had really cruddy jobs in high school because I didn't have nice clothes, you know, to go get a a clean job. (laughs) But at the beginning of the corporate world, I, I found that I was, it was really tough. And then somewhere about five years in, I remember somebody saying, Hey, you know, talk to Jan. He knows how to network better than anybody here. And I looked around and like, who are they talking about? And then I realized, oh, I had kind of figured this thing out. I knew how to get stuff done. And I realized a lot of people were coming to me saying, you know, how do you, how do you network? And I never even realized I was doing it. I just was kind of having fun figuring out how to get stuff done. And you're just a natural. Well, most of the people there were really, really good people. But I also knew you know, as I learned more and got more confident, I, I realized, gosh, I'd, I'd really like to be running my own show. It just took me a long time to get there. But, you, you know, as my wife says, I had to go through what I had to go through to get where I am now, that if I yep. hadn't done all the things and, and I tell people all the time, you know, there's no such thing as a linear trajectory for a career. I had even um, if you want as, it to be, it's not. Oh, my gosh. I had as, <laughs> I made so many mistakes. And had so many, you know, I had more failures and mistakes and successes. And, you know, if, if I do have any wisdom today, it's it's from all those setbacks. It's not from, you know, the things that went well. And even in, in my little business here, there's a lot of things we've tried to do that didn't work. I mean, a lot, you know. But that's I, how you learn, right? Yeah. I mean, you learn from your mistakes and you can you can either decide to learn from them to make the future better or 
just wallow in self-pity and you know what yep. was me and i can't do this but uh, well, obviously you, you haven't you, you've taken those experiences and and made something special from them yeah well i i mean that's what we talked about so much during the pandemic is being resilient and you know it's what tom peters said a long time ago when he wrote in search of excellence um you have to be the master of bounce back ability you know i think about you know that's what i did i you know i like okay that didn't work let's try this and Another great piece of advice from my wife was at the very beginning, she said, the market will tell you what it values. If you listen, we'll tell you what it values. And another way that, of saying that, that is, is kind very of very true. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what Peter Drucker said a long time ago. If you're a consultant, you only need two questions in your toolbox. One, who's what business are you in? And two, who's your customer? And as an entrepreneur, as a as anybody in, a, in the business world and in the corporate world, you have to ask and answer those questions every single day. You, you never get done asking and answering, what business am I really in? Who really is my customer? Well, it sort hard. of evolves, right? I mean, oh, yeah. if you're really good at what you're doing and you're working with more, more people, more, get more clients, different businesses, you're, you're always evolving. So you're yep. always trying to grow and, and, and learn more, learn learn how to do things better. So so self-reliant leadership. So how did you come up with that name? Um I love that name. Well, thank you. I you know, my favorite book when I was a kid was My Side of the Mountain. It was about a fictional book about a little boy, 13 years old, who went out into the Catskills and lived by himself and carved out a tree and taught a falcon how to hunt. I read that book a dozen times when I was a kid, and I just mm -hmm. loved the idea of being self-reliant. And when I went in the military, I realized you have to be self-reliant to be reliable. I mean, you have to be squared away to be a good leader, to take care of other people. You can't be worried about yourself all the time. You've got to be in shape and do your homework, and you got to get up earlier and stay up later, and you've got to realize it's not about you. It's never take about care of you, it. right? right. But, yeah. but you can't do that unless you are squared away. And squared away, I always think of, you know, the five, the five Fs. You've got fitness, you've got to be healthy, you've got family. A lot of people will say faith, uh, spirituality, finances. And then yep. the other one is fulfillment, to be, mm -hmm. you know, happy and content and fulfilled in what you're doing, that you're passionate. If, right. if you're sort not squared away your on purpose. those... If you aren't squared away on those five things, leading self, you can't lead others. And if you don't master leading others, you certainly can't lead at the organizational level, which is really about designing the environment where all the right oh, behaviors happen. So true. So true. And and I know in your own business, you have a set of core principles or core values that you live by and, and run your business by. And, and I, too, am steadfast on core values. In fact, every time I start working with a client, we spend the first couple of sessions just talking about their own mm -hmm. set of core values. Right. You know, they all have their, they know they have their core values. They may not have articulated them. They may not have written them down, but they have their own set of non-negotiables that they live by. So describe your own core principles of your leadership philosophy and how they've guided your approach to, to your coaching business. Yeah. Well, my, the, the pillars of self-reliant leadership I've mentioned, leading self, leading others, leading the organization. But what I look for in the clients I want to work with, the people that participate in our expeditions is really three things. 
One is people that are selfless or trying to be selfless. So that they know right. we becomes before me. So that's and the they're not thing. contacting you because they want to get better and improve themselves and do their own thing. It's about being, uh, well, as Simon Sinek said, you know, leaders eat less. So, yeah. you know, it's about making sure everybody is taken care of before themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, mo- and and that goes to the uh, the second one is that they have heroic aspirations beyond power and money, that they want to make a difference in the lives of others. They want to make the world a better place in what they do. They're continually improving that they're curious. The third thing is that they're adventurous. And by that, I mean, they're willing to take risks, to be vulnerable, to figure out how you balance confidence and humility. And kind of open um, yourself up, right? right. I mean, yeah, to be coachable. The only way you'll, right. And it's the only way you'll learn and get I, better. I, <laughs> it's probably why I have no narcissist clients. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think a narcissist would hire a coach. Yeah, well, they're not coachable. They yeah. they have all the answers. Yeah, that's right. Why would they need a coach? Everybody yeah. should go to them for advice, right? And, yeah. and I'm sure you've worked with a few narcissists. It's uh, interesting. Lots of great learning experiences from working with a narcissist. Yeah, <laughs> having been down that road myself. Yeah. So so uh, I love your core principles. I, I think those are so important. How do you translate those core principles then? If somebody comes to you and may, maybe they're not totally on board yet with those those core principles, how do you help them understand how important it is? Now, I'm not saying they're narcissistic at all, but yeah. maybe they're not quite there in understanding what it means to be selfless. Well, the, the first thing I do with clients is, um, again, those criteria I just mentioned are those by which I select people. So they should already possess them if I'm working with them. Mm-hmm. And th- and you've been the, around the block enough times you can you you can see whether they have it or not. Right? Yeah. Well, the, the one thing that I found as a sales leader back in the day was the two things I couldn't develop in other people was curiosity and drive. They have to come with that. And the you same thing goes to water, but you can make can't make them drink. Exactly. <laughs> and and what I do with clients when they come on board is the first question I'll ask is, "What do you want?" And that's a hard question because it kind of goes back to those five F's. You know, they they want balance in their lives. They want to be fulfilled. And there's not a single person that I know that's not in transition in some way, shape, or form from, you know, where they are today and where they'd like to be. So the next thing we do is really look at what do they value? What's really important to them? And then we look at, you know, their strengths and where those strengths serve them today and where those strengths no longer serve them, or in certain situations, those strengths detract. For example, somebody I worked with the other day said, I'm not patient. That's my vice. But my virtue Mm -hmm. is I get stuff done, high energy. I've just got to know when to use the energy and when to dial it back and when to be patient. Yeah, you need to channel it in the right direction. Right. And that's pretty good self-awareness. And You know, as Marshall Goldsmith wrote a long time ago, what got you here won't get you there. What you need to go from manager to director is different than going from director to VP, from VP to the C-suite. And, you know, it's not that we have to change who we are. We need to really just become more and more self-aware that some of our strengths serve us and some of them don't. And here's how they affect other people. And we need to be intentional and deliberate about the tone that we set with other human beings. 
I love that. I love that. What do you think are some of the most common challenges that leaders are experiencing today? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're working mm-hmm. with some, you know, big time executives, leaders of, of large organizations, and even some that maybe not as large uh, of an organization, but what are some of those common challenges that they're facing yeah. today? I think not to oversimplify, but I, I really would put it into two buckets. One is time is are they spending their time in the right places? Are they prioritizing properly? As I finished my book, I had three words. It was decisions determine destiny. And so I love a lot of what people need is, is they know they want to be here and they're over here. What do they need to do to cross the chasm to better allocate their time, which is absolutely yeah. something they can control. And most people will say, I want to be more strategic. The second thing is really on the people side. So you have time and you have people. Mm-hmm. And the people side is how can they be more effective with people? You know, produce more influence, whether it's managing the board, managing up, managing sideways, or their direct reports. And oftentimes that involves difficult conversations. And a lot of people have a lot of trouble with difficult conversations because they're hard, they're difficult. Yeah. Most of us don't like conflict. We want to avoid it. Even so, at that leadership level, you know? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And so going into a difficult conversation, what's the mindset that you suggest that we need to have? Oh, good question. I think it, again, goes back to curiosity. If, if I were to say to you, you know, instead of coming out of a meeting saying, Jeff, you know, gosh, you interrupted everybody in that meeting. That was terrible. Don't do that. It would go, you know, Jeff, how do you think that meeting went? Oh, okay. I'm, then I'm checking for your self-awareness. Hey, um, what about when you in, interrupted Sue? Oh, yeah, I did. Jeff, how do you think that made her feel? And so it's, you know, it's not a quick conversation. But if right. I have a quick conversation, I say, Jeff, don't interrupt people. You're being a jerk. You might be compliant, but you're not going to be committed to wholesale change. If right. I have a discussion with you where I'm compassionate and I demonstrate that I care about you as a human, that I want you to get better and help you see how it affects other people, then you're more likely to commit to changing your behavior. Right. And, and right. Because you're not getting, habit. because the way you're presenting it is not, you're not de- being demeaning or insulting in any way. You're trying to lift them up. You're trying to, yep. to help them understand a little bit better how they have behaved and what their behavior means to the, yep. the people that they're working with. And, you know, so when I go into a, a, a conversation like that, it's always at the end, how are they going to walk out of this feeling better? You know, that's, that's the goal. How are they going to come out of this feeling yep. like this was a value to them as opposed to, well, geez, Jeff is just, mm-hmm. he's a jerk. You know, I don't want to talk to that guy. And well, then that's a challenge, but you have well, to you're really talking dig- about. You're talking about tone, you know, that tone, when we're out on the expedition, we always put different people in charge and we talk about three things, direction, pace, and tone. You know, direction is go to the top of the hill. Pretty simple. I mean, in business, most direction is pretty simple. Hit the number, right. produce X. Trend in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. But the thing we've struggled with, especially the last four years has been pace. What's the right pace? If I'm walking out in the woods going up a hill with a bunch of people, I can go as fast as the slowest person. But when we're all working virtually, who's the slowest person? And the slowest person isn't the same person every day. It depends on the task, the mood, 
we're all dealing with stuff. We're lucky if if most people can actually put in 40 productive hours a week, given all their other responsibilities. So then the other part is the tone. When we get up to the top of the hill, we want them to be committed and energized when we say, this isn't the top. Look over there. That hill's higher. We're going over there. Now we have to go down before we go back up. If you're not motivating people along the way, they're going to go, oh, are you kidding uh, yeah, right. me? Yeah. It's I'm like tired. the quarterly I objective. Do that. <laughs> I, right. I hit my numbers. Right. Now you're telling me to hit more numbers. So we have to be way more cognizant about how we want people to feel when they're being led by us. And it's hard because, you know, we want to, we, we so need to balance yeah. getting the, get, having them hit their numbers and, and also having a good relationship with people, you know, and that goes and back it, to that pace. And, and this yeah. is the challenge of leadership today. And, and I'll say one more thing that the, it really is hard. And what I think the challenge is for today's leader is how do you personalize leadership yet the entire team believes you're fair? Because you can't treat everybody the same. Because um, they're not the same. And everybody's <laughs> got different circumstances. Exactly. Um, you know, if the guy, there's a guy that's 55, has different needs than, than the 30-year-old that just had a baby, or the 45-year-old who's dealing with sick parents, or somebody that's having a mental health crisis, we can't run everybody the same all day long, 100%. We just can't do that. And what used to motivate good results for sure. Right. Well, 30 years ago, it was, you know, everybody was motivated pretty much the same. I want to get promoted. I want to make more money. Now, what motivates people are really different. I mean, it kind of goes a little bit back to Dan Pink that he said years ago, it was autonomy, it was mastery, and it was purpose. But what those mean to people are really different these days. And we have to understand that. And you you have to take time to understand that from each person. You can't just say 40 people that report to me, here's here's what you're going to do and I'm going to treat you all the same. It's just not going to work. Oh, it, it won't. The people you will not you will not po- positively influence all 40 people if you treat them all the same because their needs are different, they communicate differently, they're looking for different things in life, their purpose might be different. And as a leader, you have to be sensitive to that and you have to understand that and you have to act accordingly and that that's what makes yeah. it such a, a challenge so good segue to the next question key attributes of a good self-reliant leader what, what would you say are some of the the mm-hmm. more important i mean there's lots of important key attribute attributes but what would you say are the the most critical you know if i if i had to boil it down to the thing that i think a lot of people struggle with you know as leaders is this a uh, balance of confidence and humility. We want to be confident enough to where we have a swagger, but not arrogance. And we want to be humble enough to we're willing to be vulnerable, where we're willing to say, I don't know, I don't understand, I'm wrong, I made a mistake, but not so deferential that we're mowed over. And I think a lot of leaders struggle with it. And some of the strongest leaders I've seen are the ones, they're so confident, they can be absolutely vulnerable. And that vulnerability actually boosts their confidence. It's like this self-perpetuating machine. And I've seen it, honestly, more with women leaders than I have with men, that that balance is there between that confidence and that humility. And I think that's what we all struggle with. 
again, 30 years ago, a lot of leaders developed their confidence by being competent. They knew everybody's job. Yeah. They came up through the ranks. These days, the chances are you're going to lead a team where you don't know everybody's job better than they do. And then that's okay. Yeah. Well, you right? have to be humble enough to say, look, I don't know IT. I don't know finance. I don't know right. HR, but I don't know accounting, but I do know product management or I do know marketing or I do know operations. But you're not going to know everything, especially the higher up you go. I think that's a struggle for a lot of people. And I think the other right. one is really figuring out the, the big takeaway on the crucible expeditions we lead is, you know, you've got to slow down to speed up. I think mm -hmm. that's the other thing is realizing that many of us are addicted to busy. None of us are paid to be busy. Sometimes we got, are addicted to busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, always. <laughs> well, we got to sit up on the hill once in a while. And, right. And figure and reflect, rejuvenate, and figure out what we need to do. As you were talking through, you know, some of those humility, how important it is versus confidence and having both. It, it reminded me of, uh, of somebody I was working with uh, not that long ago, but the company was experiencing turnover of huge, huge amounts, you know, like over 50%, 75%. You know, somebody was coming in the door, somebody was walking out the door. The owner said at one point, why do we continue to hire stupid people? Mm. <laughs> and I thought, well, we need to take a look in the mirror. <laughs> we're, we've, got a, we've got an issue here, and it yeah. doesn't have anything to do with the people that we're hiring. Wow. Yeah. So in, in, in a situation like that, Jan, what do you, what would be your first reaction? Because well, that happens. I mean, my, that I, situation was not unique to me. That's, that's out there. Well, I have seen that, you know, where people think everybody that works for them are, you know, stupid and yeah. they're the smartest people in the room. Right. And those are people that, you know, I have worked for and I chose to leave because and they're not coachable. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I've seen them be successful by measures of earning money, selling companies for a lot of money. There's books about people like that, that, oh, my goodness. that have been successful, but, but they haven't been kind and, and lifted people yeah. up. And, and it know. depends on how you define success. Exactly. Right? Are we just well, defining success by the bottom line? The well, checkbook? when we asked um, Pfeffer, Jeff, Professor Pfeffer from Stanford, you know, how, to, how he defined leadership, he said, it depends on the company. What's the company need? You know, some companies want that and some companies don't. But I think the best companies, in my, in, by my definitions of success, are really great at selecting the right people. Not the best people, the right people for that company. They're really great at welcoming them and onboarding them and helping them understand the values and the history of the organization. And then they invest in them from a development perspective. And by invest, I don't necessarily mean dollars. I mean the manager's time. So they feel the, like they're part of the team. You know, right. they, they were hired for a reason. Yeah. They're not just there to fill yeah. an empty seat. And one of my mentors, besides the crucible, you know, the two big quotes I think are the best quotes for leaders. One, you know, you have to slow down to speed up. The other one taught to me by a mentor was people support what they help create. So as leaders in the business world, there's no such thing that I've seen of a business. It's a democracy in an organization where everybody gets a voice, even though they don't all get a vote. 
I think is some a, a healthy place. And again, you can't have that sort of place if the leader isn't humble enough to say, I want to hear from people. I might be wrong. I might be misinformed. I might have made bad assumptions, but my people are not stupid. Absolutely. They might be motivated differently. They might not have the same ambition as some of the executives to, or, you know, to take on those responsibilities. And, and again, they might place a higher priority on having more balance in their life than what it would take to be an executive. Well, you don't that know unless you they're... start developing that relationship with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing more and more. I mean, really, a lot of veterans I've helped transition that were really high-flying career guys and gals, and then they decide to leave the military. And part of it is they don't want to work crazy. They don't want to do what it takes to be a general. They don't want to get in the business world and do what it takes to be a CEO because they want more balance in their life. And whenever somebody tells me, you know, they want to be in the C-suite or a CEO, I I kind of go through and I say, are you willing to pay what it will cost? Yeah, and then here's you, what it's going to take. Well, we look at their values. Like when you take on more responsibility, you have to sacrifice more. And are you willing to make those sacrifices? And, and again, there's no right or wrong answer. It depends on the person, you know, with their life and what they feel their purpose is and how they're going to get yeah. there. Well, Absolutely. some people could say, I want to set a good example for my kids. And some people could say, I want to be with my kids all the time. It just depends on what you value and there's no right or wrong. So have there been, as you reflect back on your career, have there been any critical moments that have really stood out that influenced who you are today? I mean, because you bring so much Mm -hmm. wisdom to the table and you've impacted so many high level people in a positive way. I've got to assume there have been some critical moments in your, in your career that have really influenced you. It's a good question. It's a really good question. I think I've had a lot of bosses and they kind of go into three buckets, you know, bad bosses, okay bosses, and really great bosses. And luckily I've had a lot of really great bosses. And I would say they're the ones working with them is what influenced me the most. And, you know, my perspectives on things and also a little bit on the bad bosses, you know, the things I look back, I'm like, oh, that just wasn't right. I, I, I didn't, I didn't care for that at all. You know, with the bad bosses, I certainly made lots of mistakes, got on their bad side, let my pride and ego get in the way. As I look back, I don't think they were good people, you know, necessarily, but I do realize, boy, I could have managed myself in a way that would have produced different behavior from those bosses, ergo different results. Again, when we're working with people that are difficult, we have to realize we cannot control them. We can control our own behavior, our own attitude that might change and influence their behavior differently. And, you know, that's what I've learned is just getting sideways with people. And again, it was being immature. It was, you know, having a lot of pride and ego. Well, I've been there myself. I get it. And, you know, I've, I've had bosses in all three buckets as well. And I, and I, as I think back and reflect on some of those experiences, it's how we're going to use that experience to, to learn from it and to make us better in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, cause we've all, we can all say longer we're, we're in our, our career, we can say we've had a good boss, bad boss, an okay boss. I mean, they're out there, but we have to learn from each experience the good bosses, learn from them. Learn as much as you can. The bad bosses, learn from them too. 
yeah. right? Learn what we don't want to do in the future. Yeah. And now as my kids get older, they're, you know, college age and when one's already finished college and they're talking about their work situations and their bosses. And I say, well, learn from it, learn from it, learn what yeah. you want to do and what you think is right and learn from what you think might not be the right way to handle a situation and know that you're not going to do that in the future. So we got to be able to be open to always learning. I think that's the one thing that you don't learn in college. And I've worked with a lot of young people is you can be right, but you can be right at the wrong time in the wrong way with the wrong person. And sometimes, I mean, it kind of goes back to what they taught us in the military, you know, don't die on every hill. Don't fall on your sword. You got to figure out when you fight and when you when you just kind of say, you know, this. Th- I'm not fighting over this one. And again, that's pride and ego, and and being mature enough and smart enough to realize you're not going to right every wrong in the world. And you that's know, right. as, as again to quote Jeffrey Pfeffer again, you know, he he reminds us, you know, job one is to keep your job, and if you yeah. tick off the boss. You have no influence to get resources and clear obstacles for your people. You've you, just created if, a great you risk a, for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you don't have a good relationship with somebody in the organization. You can't take care of your people. So right. that's the hard thing. Is and and again, if there's so many wrongs, then we have to look in the mirror and say, "Hey, is this organization's values line up with mine? And if not, yeah. then I need to go." Right. There's probably a better situation for me out there. Yep. So. Jan, you've dropped many good nuggets for our listeners mm. today. A- any other key words of wisdom that you may have for somebody coming yeah. into a leadership role? Well, self-reliant leadership means you have personal responsibility for your development. Nobody else. You might have a vessel in which you know you can really learn and grow, and the company makes real dollar investments in you through courses. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's up to you. And it's been said the only way you're going to be different at the end of 2024 is the people you meet and the books you read or the podcasts you listen to it. Yeah. It's what you put in your head and who you associate with. But the other thing I would throw out there is if you're early in your career and you really want to become more self-aware is to keep a journal. And, and it doesn't have to be dear diary. Here's how I feel. It could be four things is to start with and go from there. One. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. Well, one, rate the day, you know, was a good day, bad day, you know, scale one to 10, just rate the day. Two, what did you learn? Three, what are you grateful for? And four, what's the priority for tomorrow? And if you do that for a month, look back and and look, what did the good days have in common? What the bad days have in common? What's the theme of what you're focused on learning? Are the priorities getting solved or is the same priority keep showing up? And is the the yeah. little bit of gratitude that you're putting in there, you know, making you a little bit more humble and grateful and happier? Well, and I love that. If you I start with that. that, again, it takes, you know, two minutes at the end of a day. And then after a month, you go back and, and coach yourself. Right. And figure out what you want to do. And, and again, just remember, we are all in transition in some way, shape or form. I mean, so. Always, right. And, and that, you know, a good life isn't something that is in the future. You have to figure out how to live a good life today. Today, and, right. Tomorrow will be better, but today's good. Yeah, today but can you, be great. I, 
You I mean you, you've got to say, you know, what's a good life? And 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 again, I mean, going to work every day and being miserable is not a good life. You know, I mean, you're for not sure. going to you know if if you're like, well, I got to earn money for the you know the kids and the mortgage. It's like, well, you're setting a really rotten example if you're in a bad mood every night. Um, so you're not seeing the best you. Yeah, I one of the things I think about, you know, the the out outputs of effective coaching or effective leadership is that the people you touch every day, they go home at night, good, tired, that they have a nice conversation at the dinner table with their family and they're in a good mood. They might be tired, but they're good, tired. And everybody they work with is the same. Nobody's going home in a bad mood, ticked off, feel like they're underappreciated, any of that stuff. I think if we're leading effectively, that's what we're doing. And then, you know, in the morning, hopefully more often than not, people say, I get to, Instead of I have to. Have to. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Jan, have there been any any game changers in your life? Anybody that has really influenced you to help you grow and become the person that you are today? Oh yeah. I've had I've sticking been with real... the theme of game changers here, but yeah. I'm sure you've had a few influences. Oh yeah, I've had a lot life. of mentors. I've had a lot of mentors. I heard um <laughs> an interview with Dick Van Dyke the other day and he was saying, you know, all my friends are gone. So I've had to make new friends. Well, a lot of, uh, a lot, as I look back, gosh, I would say half my mentors have passed away. You know, they were uh, quite a bit older than me. They're gone. And, but I think about them and I channel them. Who knows who coached and mentored them? But I think it's, you know, the best of our ancestors that kind of goes, comes forward and, and we just keep passing, passing that along. Yeah. But I, yeah, again, I've been really fortunate. I've had a lot of good mentors and, at a certain point in your career, you realize that you've got to mentor other people. Yes, and, um, yes. You know, you you sort of have that obligation to to pass along all those that help. And you know, again, I mentioned solopreneur at the beginning, and I have this this company. But if I count all the people that contribute to this organization, whether they're paid or not paid, or they're ten ninety nine people that coach with me, gosh, it's probably thirty or forty people that. I work with throughout the year that help bring everything that I do to bear, but they're not employees. Right. Um, but I could go through just, I could just start listing off all the people that I count on and, you know, hopefully count on me, you know, to, to bring to bear what we do. Well, we can't, we can't do this all by ourselves. No. Right. I mean, not even close. No. I mean, we have to have our own support system and we have to have our own coach or coaches to help us, improve and grow and learn and i mean it's when i hear somebody say well i don't need a coach i don't i I can do this i can do everything on my own i think well probably not i appreciate your level of confidence but you know there's also something to be said for being humble enough to know that we can't do this all on our own yeah because we can't well you know that's the funny thing about coaching is as you and i both know i mean 20 years ago it wasn't really a, a thriving industry you know, people didn't go outside for coaches, but, but again, 30 years ago, what happened was managers were managers. They weren't player coaches. And there was a lot of time and money invested in helping the managers really figure out how to interview, how to coach, how to counsel, how to performance manage it, how to promote. And I remember more than a few bosses saying the metric by which I should be judged is how many people underneath me get promoted. Um, you don't that. hear yes. that. You don't hear that very much. And so, you know, everybody's busy. 
And mm-hmm. so outside coaches are convenient. They're necessary. They're helpful. Part of it is I, I think we don't necessarily have the structure the best way in a lot of organizations where we know that what the top leaders are doing is absolutely cascading down throughout the organization. Perfect. Jan, this has been wonderful. You have educated our listeners tremendously. I want to have one more question, make it a fun one. So here we go. You have just been hired as an executive coach for some of the senior elected representatives in Washington. (laughs) So how would you approach that engagement and what would be on your agenda? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. And I remember we, we, we do not need to get into politics at I, all. I won't. It, I, I never do politics or religion on yep. our podcast, but yep. I remember having the Colorado Speaker of the House in my classroom once when I was teaching MBA students. And I remember he was raised, his parents, one was a Democrat, one was a Republican. And he was a very effective speaker. And he said, You know, what I always start when I'm working bipartisan is I try to figure out what can we all agree on. And there's some great books by Jonathan Haidt on, you know, why we can't agree on politics and religion. And he has moral foundation theory that we mm-hmm. all start in the same place. So what I would you do bet. is I would go back to that, those morals. And I would say, you know, we, we all start in the same place. We all want the same thing for our country. Let's just, let's figure out how we can get there. And um, it would be nice if, if people realize that the only way we're going to get there is compromise. And, you can't compromise if you don't care to understand where people are coming from. And again, I, I believe we're all coming from the same place. I believe we are too, but somehow we're struggling to get to the Oh yeah. But it, end result. It, be, it would be a good, it would be a good assignment. I think it would be very frustrating and very difficult. Um, but I think boy, you'd have to have a lot of patience. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, we're all looking for the leader that's going to unify us. I don't know if that person exists. Somebody humble enough to accept some suggestions and ways that possibly we can improve. I mean, yeah. you know, there, there has to be that humility there and they have to open themselves up to make things happen in the right way and to grow and improve. And I, I don't know. It's a fun question because I, I, I love to think about, well, what, what would, like, what would I have on my agenda? Gosh, I don't, you know, I have to really give that some thought, but yep. there's so many opportunities well, there. <laughs> well, if you really want to be fun with it, I think right now, the, the person I think that is the least polarizing person in the country right now. So maybe, maybe she could do it would be um, Taylor Swift. So, yes, yeah. I don't know anybody that doesn't like Taylor Swift, so maybe maybe I, she, could, she could fix things. I saw a license plate the other day, and it said Swifties, S-W-I-F-T-E-A. And I thought, well, is that person, you know, they're, they're like T? Or, I mean, I was so clueless. I had yeah. no idea. And my, <laughs> my wife had to say, no, Jeff, they're a Taylor Swift fan. They're called Swifties. Like, yeah. oh, oh, you didn't know that, okay. Jeff. Okay. Huh? Yeah, I know. I was clueless. So, Jan, thank you so much for taking time today. This has been a great discussion. How do people learn about you and Self-Reliant Leadership? Selfrelientleadership.com. Look me up on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. And the website's got tons and tons of resources. And if you've got any particular questions, let me know. And on our podcast, I think we've covered just about every leadership issue over the last seven plus years. So, 
oftentimes people reach out and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. I'd love for my team to listen to a relevant podcast and I'll refer them to one. I appreciate the work that you do, Jeff, the questions you ask, very thoughtful. And thank you for having me on. You bet. It's been great conversation. I know you've helped our listen, listeners become much wiser in the process. I always try to have at least a couple of nuggets dropped uh, during each episode. So somebody listening will walk away and say, wow, I feel like uh, I got something out of that. There's absolutely no way somebody would walk away from this episode and think, well, I didn't learn anything. There was so much to learn. So thank you again, Jan, for taking the time. All right, and Jeff. I appreciate you so much and all the work that you've done. You're welcome. Thank you. Happy holidays. Absolutely. Oh, well, so before I let you go quickly, any big plans for 2024? I know the book is coming out, but... The book's coming out. We got a big sabbatical we're going to take. Great. You know, just lots of travel. Good for you. Good. Wonderful. Well, again, thanks for being here, Jan. The best to you in 2024. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Game Changers. Today has been a great day for sure. And I know tomorrow is going to be even better. I just know it. Peace, everyone. Find out more about the show at GameChangersWithJeff.com. And make sure you're following Game Changers on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are everywhere. Never miss an episode. We appreciate you listening. Grateful for your following.